Please turn in your Bibles to the prophecy of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Isaiah chapter 53. Even though our focus is upon verses 4 through 6, I would like to read the entirety of the chapter. And I'm reading from the authorized version these well-known words. Will you pray with me? Our Father, it is difficult even to pray as we consider the depth of the suffering of our Savior, the Son of God, and that we might be enabled to say with Paul, the Apostle, he loved me and gave himself for me is the greatest of mysteries, at least for those of us who have come to see something of what it means that we are sinners in need of grace, it is almost beyond comprehension that the Father loved us from eternity, that the Son died for us and rose from the dead, that the Spirit of God applies redemption to our hearts. Father, how can we even begin to express it? But we say with Paul the Apostle, oh, the depths. And now as we turn to this passage familiar to us all, may the word of the Lord have free course into our hearts, and we pray that we, the people of God, saved by grace through faith in this Redeemer, will once again plumb the depths as much as possible with thy Spirit's enablement but that also those who may be here on this Good Friday, in the middle of the day, hearing the Word of God read and proclaimed, hearing your name worshipped, will themselves leave this place saved. These things we ask and pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Amen. Will you take your copy of God's Word and stand? The 53rd chapter of Isaiah. This is the word of the Lord. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand." He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. May we read again verses 4 through 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God. When we, by faith, see the Son of God hanging upon a tree in agony and in blood on Good Friday, and his body placed in a tomb, there is not much that looks good. But if ever looks were deceiving, this is the time. The eye of faith beholds him there and is overwhelmed with the good of Good Friday. And Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 is one passage that helps us to see the goodness of the Lord to his people. A part of the suffering servant portion of Isaiah that we are reading here, I think it's important for us to remember that this is part of a lengthier section of the suffering servant portion of Isaiah. Predicted by this 8th century B.C. prophet, And we are permitted to see ahead the death of the Savior for the sins of sinners like us. You will remember that in chapter 50, verse 6, we read, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. But by the time we come to chapter 53, chapter 53 is even more remarkable. It is true of the Bible that the new is concealed in the old and the old is revealed in the new, but this passage almost breaks that rule. Isaiah 53 is an explicit Old Testament reference 
to the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now think of it. A prophet prophesying in the 8th century B.C., clearly portraying before our eyes the substitutionary atonement of Christ. All attempts to find its reference in some other person have failed. No one can bear the weight of this passage but Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now let us focus immediately on verses 4 through 6. And the first thing we see is the sin bearer. The sin bearer. Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And so he is described as the one who took up and carried. He was laden with our sins. And yet those who saw him, saw him suffering so, were revolted by him and esteemed him not. But the startling thought is that the griefs and sicknesses he bore were not his, they were ours. And we have every reason to be revolted, not by him, but by my sin that put him there. Surely, or of a certainty, the text tells us, he did this for his people. He carried, took up, was laden with our sins and iniquities. He was the sin bearer. But then secondly, he was our substitute. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He did not suffer for his own transgressions. He had none. This was God in the flesh. And so there is a contrast between the we of verse 4 and the he of verse 5. The transgressions for which he suffered and died were not his, but ours. He was pierced for our transgressions. His sufferings were vicarious, penal, substitutionary atonement. And children, when we say penal, we mean he bore the penalty of our sins when he stood in our place dying on the cross. Christ punished in the sinner's place. Our transgressions as I think I remember E.J. Young putting it, our transgressions demanded wounding. Our iniquities demanded crushing. My sin wounded him. My sin crushed him under its guilty load. And this is the chastisement that brings us peace. He died for crimes against God's law, not his but ours. We sing it, do we not? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Now let me stress this. His sufferings were vicarious. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for 
our iniquities. One of those great theologians of the past, James Henley Thornwell, said, the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, atonement is unquestionably an ultimate principle in the moral government of God. In the scheme of redemption, God visits the transgressions of sinners in the person of the Son, the law executed in its utmost rigors, and God is just, perfectly and gloriously just in justifying all who believe. Their sin has been as truly punished as if they themselves had been consigned to the darkness of hell. Do you hear what Thornwell is saying? That if you understand the Bible's teaching on the substitutionary atonement of Christ, if your trust is in that substitute, you may know when he died upon the cross and shed his blood to redeem you, it is as if you had been consigned to hell because your sins were consigned to Christ who bore the penalty of your hell for you. It's amazing, is it not? His sufferings were expiatory. His sufferings atoned for our sins and brought us peace with God, the end of verse 5 tells us. Reminding us of verses such as Colossians 1, 19 to 21. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And it is described as healing, because this is a common figure for relief from suffering. Such as in Isaiah thirty twenty six, the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. And so his sufferings were propitiatory. We know peace because he knew wrath. We know peace because he satisfied divine justice, drinking the cup of divine wrath to the full, down to the very bitter dregs. Now once at the end of the ages has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, Hebrews 9.26. Now do you know this substitute? Do you know him personally? Have you trusted him? Have you entrusted your heart and your life to him? There is no other atonement for sin. There is no other savior from sin. There is no other way to be right with God but through this propitiatory sacrifice on the cross. Penal, substitutionary, blood atonement. And as we behold the scene, we must ask ourselves, why? Why? And so thirdly, why did he suffer? And the answer is found in verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so there is this lost sheep metaphor. Zechariah prophesies that the shepherd would be struck. And surely this is the image behind John 10, 11 and following. When our Savior said, I am the good shepherd... The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And this is behind 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, that reflects this very, very verse in Isaiah, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so why? Why? The hymn writer says, Lo, the good shepherd for the sheep is offered, the slave hath sinned, and the son hath suffered. Why this substitute in our place? Why? The answer of our text is, Jesus the Son of God suffered because of our own self-willed wandering. He suffered to bring us back, to make us the sheep of his fold and under the care of his hand. What could be more clear than the contrast here between God's way and our way? Our self-willed wandering away, wanting to wander away from God. Have you ever considered that the damned in hell still do not want to change? that they still wander in their hearts from God and always will? That's our heart by nature, apart from the application of this work of atonement to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Oh, my friends, do you understand? What could be more clear than this contrast between God's way of serving us, God's way of loving us, God's way of saving us, and where we would be apart from this sacrifice of which we read in Isaiah 53. Hence the necessity of dark Golgotha. Now let me bring to you some final thoughts as we contemplate and meditate upon this text. And do you know how to meditate? I hope we learn more and more what that means. You know, the Hebrew word for meditate means to mumble to yourself. So throughout the day, Will you think upon these things? Will you dwell upon these things? Will you fill your heart with these things? Will you, as John Owen puts it in one of his great books, will you so fill your heart with the cross of Christ that there's no room for sin? So here are these final thoughts. First, the only adequate view of substitution or of atonement is the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. And it is tragic that that is being minimized and denied and that old heretical views are returning to take place of this one way of salvation even in many a church that calls itself evangelical. And so I want to bring a warning here, a warning. Are these things dear to you? Are they? Is your Savior dear to you? Is he? Is his sacrifice upon the tree the dearest thing to you? then let me bring this warning. Guard it or lose it. The church must preach it 
or lose it. Love it or lose it. Make much of it or lose it. Every other view of the atonement fails to see what sin deserves and fails to provide the answer for the removal of our guilt. There is no good news for sinners apart from the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross. And so let me say, my fellow sinner, there is no other way to be saved than this way. No other way but God's way. No other way but the way of blood atonement. No other way but the way God himself has made atonement through the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone plus nothing for your salvation from sin? And then second, I would ask you to think on this. Every time I read Isaiah 53 and I read John 19 and other passages about the atonement, I'm struck, aren't you, with the incredible violence of the scene? But you know, for all of that, for all of the physical suffering, and it was great indeed that our, our Savior bore, the greatest suffering was the emotional anguish of our Lord. It was that which, as he moved toward the cross, he would say, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. It's the inconceivable, unknown emotional anguish, the unknown sufferings of the Son of God as he was forsaken in our place that should be to us the most remarkable thing. And how could it be otherwise? If the Son of God, the Holy Son of God, the second person of the Trinity became flesh and dwelt among us and went to a cross and bore the wrath of God against sin, how could it be otherwise than a depth of emotional pressure, estrangement that we cannot even comprehend? And so we read in verse 10 of this chapter, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I think your ESV has, it pleased the Lord to crush him. He hath put him to grief. It pleased the Lord to do this and trim no meaning away from the word. Pleased, pleased, pleased. In punishing his own son, the father seemed to do so, if I may say it reverently, he seemed to do so with his whole heart. And how can that be? Because the son was our sin bearer by imputation, and he poured out his just holy wrath against my sin. And this is what makes Good Friday good, really good. For those for whom the Son of God substituted himself on the cross, our sins are paid for in full. Our guilt is removed forever. Our relationship with God is restored and our inheritance eternally secured. But oh, what a cost. And I think we should dwell upon that cost. As John Brown of Edinburgh put it, the value of the blood of Christ 
the value of the blood of Christ is the measure of the demerit of sin. And it was my sin that put him there on the cross. I want to give you a quotation from Stephen Carnock. Some say, Charnock, don't really know. I don't know that we know. One of the great Puritan divines who did a great deal of preaching on the cross, if you ever read his works, the fourth volume in particular is filled with references to the cross. And he said this, will you listen carefully? The Father would have the most excellent person one next in order to himself and equal to him in all the glorious perfections of his nature, die on a disgraceful cross and be exposed to the flames of divine wrath rather than sin should live. And his holiness remain forever disparaged by the violations of his law. God seems to lay aside the bowels of a father and put on the garb of an irreconcilable enemy when he punishes our sin imputed to Jesus in our place. And this is what God did so that you might not be his enemy, but so that you might be his friend. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. And that's Isaiah 53. And I'm grateful, are you? And I trust him with my whole heart and soul. Do you? And I'm saved by him, are you? And I want to live for him, will you? God's people said,